The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to, according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him in reply, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. It's so funny how things work out, because one of the first things that I was going to tell all of you today is that outside of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lady Mary, and St. Joseph, you know, the Holy Family, of course, those that we absolutely emulate and try to follow in the best way, it's a tough act to follow, right? Two sinless and one that was super righteous, right? That's why Saints Peter and Paul are so important in our Christian life. The, the um, New Testament is saturated with their example of sanctity and their example of sinfulness and stuff, right? So we make these kind of human mistakes, such as me looking at the wrong settings for the, the different masses and stuff like that. Um, and so the amazing thing about their journey, though, is that they don't hide any of their sinfulness or their past life along with their sanctity and their growing closer to Christ. It's all there on display. It's all there as a part of their preaching to convince other people, sort of like, look how terrible I was. Look what you can become, right? You know, it's, it's a progress in the spiritual journey, and that's one of the important things to realize about them so much. Um, I had the experience at my very last final evaluation in the seminary. Um, the rector of the seminary was, his name was also Peter, and so only a handful of us got this unique question. At the very end of our evaluation, he said, you know, my name is Peter, and I studied here in Rome as a seminarian as well. And he said, so I'd like to ask you the question that I ask everybody who has our name. He says, was there anything special to you about being named Peter and studying here in Rome? And I said, yeah, actually, Father, there, there really was, you know, because you're walking constantly over the footsteps of Saints Peter and Paul when you're there in Rome. And for those of you who visited, you see it. You see it everywhere in the statues of Saints Peter and Paul, and also you hear it throughout the letters, uh, you know, Acts of the Apostles, through, through Romans, and through all these different letters, um, where they went and what happened to them. And there's one poignant thing, well, there's, a, there's more than one poignant thing, there's a few. And so one of the things that I started with was this, there's a church in Rome called Santa Maria di Popolo, and so it's in Piazza di Popolo, and so when you go to that church, there are two paintings done by, by Caravaggio, so the famous Italian artist, and, you know, it's so funny because when these, when these artworks were commissioned at the time, nobody knew they were going to be famous, right? 
you know, they were commissioned for certain spots in certain churches, and it was only through the development of time that people's growing appreciation for how amazing they were actually gave them some sort of notoriety. So not even in the main altar or over the main altarpiece or in the side transepts of the altar, it was in the side altar to the left, off to the side of the main altar, where there's two famous Caravaggio paintings. One of them is the crucifixion of St. Peter, and then the other one is the conversion of Saul, conversion of St. Paul. And they're facing each other. They're not even the main altarpiece. They're the two side pieces right there. And if anybody who's ever visited there knows, if there's a famous piece of art, they're going to make you put like a two euro coin in the slot just to get a spotlight to shine on it, or else it's kind of dark and you can barely see it, right? So it's one of the ways that they kind of fundraise there. It's one of the only places that I went to regularly in Rome that I, I, I kept re returning to just to actually look at those amazing paintings of Peter being crucified upside down and of St. Paul. Actually, incidentally, this is where everybody always says that Paul got knocked off of his horse. It never actually says that in any of the New Testament that he was on a horse. It says that he was knocked down, but because Caravaggio, because he's so, that art was so influential, St. Paul is lying on the ground next to a horse. So everybody tells that story that he got knocked off of his horse, but it actually comes from the famousness of the art, not actually directly from what we hear in, in Scripture. But there are two amazing pieces of art, though, that depict these great and important moments. And the thing that actually brought St. Peter to that moment of being crucified upside down on the cross was, again, a moment of, of running away. You know, even after this moment, it's not depicted today in the gospel, but shortly after this, what happens, right? You know, Peter proclaims the divinity of Christ. And then he goes ahead and says something dumb again. And then, you know, he says to him, get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me, right? And so in much the same way, um, Peter is leaving Rome because people are warning him that he's going to be killed if he stays in Rome. And I mentioned this the other day. So he's on the Oppian Way leaving Rome, and he sees Jesus on the road, and he says to him in Latin, Domine Colvadis, means like, Lord, where are you going? And that's what he tells him. He said, I'm going back to Rome to be crucified again. And then the Lord disappeared from his sight. And in that moment where St. Peter was running away, and he'd done that before, <laughs> you know, he realized, I have to go back. I have to go back. It is me that needs to be crucified. In fact, in the very last part of the, of the Gospel of John, we hear that. He says, when you were young, you know, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted to go. But when you're older, someone else will dress you and, and you know, and, and you know, basically lead you where you do not want to go. And, and it was said, predicting the crucifixion that St. Peter would actually suffer. So, Persecution is a part of our Christian life. So we don't like it when it happens, but it really is important for us to embrace it. The first reading of the day, um, in for, for the reading of the day that, that we didn't get to hear, was, the, um, was about some of the imprisonment of St. Peter. The very first Mass of Thanksgiving that I ever preached at officially was at St. Peter in Chains in, um, in Rome. And they have the chains of Peter's imprisonment in a reliquary, in a big reliquary that he was freed from.
by an angel of the Lord. Um, the, same, the chains of St. Paul are also in St. Paul outside the walls that he was also freed from in one of his imprisonments. And, it, and if you remember, for those of you who know the Christmas Carol book, there's a famous part where um, Scrooge has that first encounter with his former business part, partner, Jacob Marley, right? And he's wearing those clanky chains that are, that are just terrifying Scrooge. And he wants to know why he's wearing the chains. And he basically says to him, he says, the chains that I forged in life are the ones that he wears in death or in this purgation or whatever this period that he's appearing to Scrooge in. And, and it's, it's a reminder to all of us that we could either be free in Christ or we could forge chains of our own sinfulness that will literally weigh us down for eternity. That's really the illusion that's being, you know, got at in Christmas Carol. But when you see those chains still in these boxes, you realize that St. Peter and Paul were both freed from their chains of their own sinful life, but also even physically when they were imprisoned by unjust causes in this world. So the Lord works to free us. And what's the primary way that he does that? Again, at the very end of that gospel, it's a huge reminder, just like when they receive the Spirit, and then he breathed on them, and they received the Spirit, and he said, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you, re you retain are retained. The very same thing is said in this verse. You know, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loose. It's, it's the forgiveness of sins. It's reconciliation. And what are the two primary things that St. Peter and Paul do? They preach that message. In fact, again, in Rome, inside of the, one of the, not the main altar, so when you go in St. Peter's, it's a cruciform church, and at the center is the Baldacchino altar. Only the Holy Father can celebrate Mass on that altar. But in the back of the church is the other main altar of the chair of St. Peter. It's this chair hovering in sight with four of the great, you know, saints of the church with their fingers almost touching it, but they're hovering underneath it, and the chair is almost floating above their fingers right there. Inside that giant sculpture that Bernini did, giant bronze sculpture, is the actual remnants of the wooden chair that St. Peter sat on. And then in other parts of Rome, I just can't remember exactly where it is, is the table that St. Peter celebrated Mass on. So what were the primary things that Peter and Paul were doing in the early church? They were celebrating Mass for their faithful, and they were reconciling them with God. And they were preaching the message that Jesus gave them, the authority. Saints Peter and Paul are a representation of the authority that the church has given to them by Christ. This is the piece that a lot of people miss from the Protestant world that they don't understand about us as Catholics. And there's lots of very clear passages, not in any weird words that are confusing to understand, but it's just like, the authority has been given to me, and I give it to you. And just as uh, Archbishop Sample ordained uh, Father Dustin Bussey the other day on Saturday, you know, he reminded everybody that it is in the laying on of hands that that has been passed on. That is the passing on authority 
from one bishop to another bishop to another bishop. And priests assist a bishop in his work. We're not the, we're not the direct successor to the apostle. Archbishop Sample is. Bishop Peter Smith is. We assist them in their ministry. But the authority is, is there because it's an unbroken line given to us by Christ himself. And they've been passing it on the same exact way from Jesus' hands all the way to St. Peter and Paul and all of the rest of the bishops of the church. It's an amazing heritage that we have. And again, they died to give us the message. They died so that we could have the Eucharist and to pass on all those prayers that we say here at the Mass and to reconcile us with God. But they are a reminder of us of what it's like to be sinful human beings. Sinful human beings that are humble enough to ask for forgiveness, to admit that they were wrong about something, and to be back in the grace of God. And so truly, some of the greatest examples of that, of course, we elevate the Holy Family because they are our ultimate example, but sometimes a little bit harder to grasp. But when you read St. Paul and St. Peter's life, it makes a lot of sense to us that have failures and struggles with sin and that sometimes fall away, but then sometimes come back. But it all goes to the coming back. So if you're ever away, remember that moment of Peter walking away from Rome and then realizing that he was going away from the Lord and then he needed to go back. But in between him and the Lord is the cross. In between us and the Lord is the cross. We don't really know what each individual cross is going to look like for us, but it is there. It is in between us and heaven. And so the only way out is through, right? We pick up the cross and then we carry it straight on into heaven. God bless you all.